Welcome back to another episode of Getting on the Green, discovering real estate with your host, Craig Merlin. Today's episode is going to be about real estate investments. We have an awesome guest today, very knowledgeable guy named Tim Merriman. He is from, from High Point, North Carolina, got a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology from Shaw University, so he knows what you're thinking before you do. He has an MBA from Nova Southeastern University. His clientele, or his past clientele, includes Bank of America, Citibank, Progressive Insurance, and represents high net worth individuals. Um, his real estate focus is mostly in industrial, but uh, all around investments, and I'm sure he will give you a better idea as to what he does. So without further ado, welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. All right, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Why real estate? You know, what got you into this? Uh, what 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 brought you to the real estate world? Intriguingly enough, it was um, I had a mentor, and uh, I realized at some point that he had amassed uh, a significant real estate holdings, which supported him during down economic times. And also, he's an entrepreneur, so it tended to fill the gaps when he didn't have uh, cash flow coming from his business. Uh, he turned to real estate. Uh, so it started to pique my interest as I respected him. I decided to also explore what his passion additionally from his current business was. So you, you said a, a mentor. Is that something that a new person trying to get into the real estate world, is that something that they should look for? Should they be looking for these real estate gurus that say, you know, pay me 10 grand and I'll make you a genius in real estate? Should they be going into a big brokerage where they have educational you know, uh, I guess programs there, or should they be finding a mentor that's potentially outside of their work that they can learn from? I actually recommend to stay away from all those free classes, those seminars that you hear on the radio. I think they're full of fluff. Uh, and a lot of times the information contained in those classes are so advanced that it's not fair to the individual who signed up for them. Uh, what my recommendation is that you do find a mentor whether it's inside your current company or outside, it really depends on what you, you tend to specialize in or what you, you want. Um, there are different brokerages that specialize in different things. If you decide to go to multifamily, well, there's one brokerage you should look at. If you decide to do you know, gas stations, maybe there's another. Um, if you're looking for industrial, there's other brokerage houses, that that's what they specialize. I, but I do think it's imperative that you have a mentor. Uh, it's not something you can self-study. You can't sit in a vacuum. You need real-world knowledge. And there's going to be problems that come up that only someone who's been on this battlefield is going to be able to guide you through the landlines so that you don't waste a lot of time on things that you really shouldn't have to uh, go through. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, um, like, especially because you know people have such different backgrounds and you know what experiences they've had before in their lifetime doesn't necessarily match up with you know another person so the real estate world is full of people with different backgrounds and you know experiences so that makes for quite a potentially volatile uh, situation especially when trying to find an amicable deal for both sides oh absolutely uh, so so let me ask you what what about your background other than uh, meeting this mentor? kind of helped you transition into the real estate world or choose real estate in the first place? Ironically enough, um, during my college year, starting in 97, I actually picked up a job as a truck driver to help pay for tuition. 
That's one reason I've actually uh, found warehouses to be within my bailiwick. Spent a lot of times on docks trying to get 18 wheelers in and out of, uh, you know, truck yards. So I thought that that was the easiest thing I could actually relate to. Um, somewhat post-college, I then started working for a large financial institution where I did foreclosures, repossessions, loan modifications, as well as bankruptcy uh, and a few other things as far as uh, collections and legal issues. Post that, post that, I went into social work where I assembled another set of skills, unbeknownst to me, because I had children who inherited large sums of money. I had to deal with estates, wills, trusts. I had significant, a lot of kids that had more than three, four, five hundred thousand dollars left to them by their deceased parents sitting in a trust fund, and I regularly had to work with those uh, attorneys. That segued into, I decided to come into real estate. Now, I won't paint a pretty picture and tell you all these wonderful things. The first three years were absolutely brutal. Um, it wasn't until I was able to call on some of those skills that I didn't know that I had, that I received from trucking, that I received from banking, that I received from social work, that I realized that there was a niche that most people were not looking at. And that was a lot of the distress market. That was a lot of the family law. That was the bankruptcy. Uh, I had those skills already. They were dormant, but I had them. And it was uh, maybe in that third, third, three and a half year point uh, that I was able to pull those skills out and apply them to some of the most difficult cases that came across my desk uh, and was able to be do it extremely successfully. So is real estate the type of business that you would suggest having like you're saying, skills from other areas before. So kind of somebody going out, getting their real life skills somewhere else, doing something else, and then being able to pull those skills in? Or is that just a situation that helped you? It was a situation that helped me. My real recommendation has always been, when you're trying to assess where you want to go with this thing called real estate, that you start looking at your interests, you start looking at what skills you've already assimilated, or um, that you have, and then you try and apply them to this business. Um, I don't want you to go out and spend 10, 15, 20 years trying to get a skill set. Now, I want you to sit there and really look at what are your passions. What's going to get you up in the morning and you're going to sit there and say, exactly. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. It may not be going sitting on a warehouse dock. It may be you know going into some of these um, less desirable neighborhoods and looking at low-income housing. It may be that you want to be down in somewhere like Brickell where you want to look at the class A, you know, uh, apartment building. Brickle being in Miami. Um, Correct. For any of the listeners not uh, living in uh, South Florida. Um, you may want to go into the, you know, into the core areas, uh, more affluent markets. I think that's one of the main things that you need to really look at before you decide this is what I want to do. Never, ever, ever chase the dollar. Find something you love and you're passionate about it and eventually it will grow into being profitable. Okay, so let's kind of go off of what you said, not chasing the dollar. When you first got in to real estate, um, you went into, well, after all of your other experiences, you went into um, joining a brokerage, and how long did it take to, I guess, get you settled in for you to make your first deal to get, I guess, financially stable to where you felt comfortable with your day-to-day 
life and not basically a struggle or, you know, a chase for the money? It really took about three and a half years um, before I actually got back to the point of making as much and exceeding what I made in my previous careers. So is that something that people should be kind of basing their, I guess, success off of or their break-even point or whether they should continue? You know, because, I mean, not not everybody can kind of go through life not knowing when their next dollar is. But, you know, real estate, people in the real estate world have, you have to have fairly tough skin. So, you know, what, what, should, what should they be looking for or doing or what mindset should they be having? Um, what I can tell you, what switched for me is in my third year, um, when I realized nobody else was going to do it for me. I made the calls. I knew what I had to do. Uh, and I got out there, rolled up my sleeves. I took all the degrees, all the certification, all the accolades, and I threw them in the drawer and forgot about them. I climbed the main hole covers. I went into old buildings. I took all that stuff and threw it away. That's when I sat there and I really made the switch. And I went from making a little income to my income grew by about 500%. Uh, and that's the truthful. That's the truth about what it took. Um, it took humility. It took forgetting about the MBA, forgetting about the sociology degree, forget about all those things that made me great uh, and saying, you know what, it's time for humility to come in. Let's do what it takes to get it done. And is that something that, uh, you know, the standard person can do if they adapted that mindset? Or is this something that because you have these background skills and this and that, plus the drive, you know, you were able to be successful? Is, you know, is, the, is having the mindset of get down, do the work, put in the time, and it'll pay off? Is that fairly standard? That's standard. Okay. I think almost everyone that's been successful in this business has about the same story. Uh, first few years, it was brutal. They sucked air. Um, they wanted to give up, throw in the towel and wave the white flag. And that's a brokerage business. So yes. not necessarily everything within real estate, no. but uh, the brokerage business specifically. Correct. Okay. And realizing, I mean, it's not a nine to five. It's something you're going to have to be passionate about. Uh, you may end up working 18 hours a day. You may work 80 hours a week. So that's why it's important to be passionate about it. That's also why you have to take the view off the money. Um, the money is a long-term effect. You're going to make it in the long run if you figure out what to do. But if you're always counting the money, forget it. The first few years, it's not going to happen. You're going to be disillusioned. So so take me back to one of those first years you were just getting into um, the brokerage business. Did you set a budget for yourself that you could exceed or couldn't exceed, something along those lines? Did you set, before you entered in and took the job as a broker, did you have some sort of you know savings account that you amassed that you were willing to deplete a certain amount? Like what kind of uh, long-term mindset did you take to give you some sort of a cushion? Or did you just go in, you know, head first and whatever happened, happened? I actually gave myself in the beginning two years. Um, I had savings, I had stock, I had things that I felt that I could actually cash in, sell off that would get me through the two years. Um, those first two years came and went really quickly. So did the money. Um, it wasn't until that third year where I started dipping into what I didn't have, uh, trying to make ends meet. And ultimately, it was when I was actually down to my last few dollars in my pocket that the switch went off, that nobody's going to do it for me. The hole was too deep. 
I had to go for broke. I literally bet it all on the house. Uh, came in that Monday morning, started negotiating like I, like my life depended on it because it almost did. And uh, I would say I had an extremely successful next 60 days. I uh, made more in the 60 days than I had made cumulatively in the previous three years. Okay, so that's impressive. Um, so let's shift the conversation slightly to the main topic of the day, which is Tim's expertise is in the investment world of real estate. So, uh, Tim, what exactly do you do in the investment world? Like, what does that mean, investing in real estate? Um, we have a tendency, well, what we do in the investment world is we take an asset and we break it down into financials. We forget what it looks like. We forget exactly where it's situated. That becomes secondary. We're looking at the rate of return, how long of a return you're going to get, and we then we, we base what's called a cap rate or a risk rate onto that asset and we sell it off to maybe some little lady in Wyoming or maybe it's a school teacher who retired. Uh, we sell those who sell it off to those who have substantial savings, but they wanted to generate a return that they can actually live off of for the rest of their life. So what, what type of alternatives are there to real estate investment? So like why would real estate be the place to park your money versus, for instance, you know, stocks or bonds or other type of, you know, money market funds, whatever it may be. Why would somebody park their money in real estate? All right. To answer that question, we have to go back to your current savings account is paying what about 1%, maybe a little more. Your CDs are paying less than 2%. You invest the money into the stock market, which most people, if they don't understand it, they're going to lose the money very quickly because there's a whole lot of other things they don't understand. Gordon growth rate uh, or, you know, what betas are, um, yield spreads and all that other good stuff that could be going on in the background or even to sit there and go into Edgar and pull a 10Q or 10K. See, most people don't know this stuff. Um, so you can actually lose the money very quickly. Real estate, I think, is a little easier to digest. Also, the returns tend to be a lot higher. Uh, you're going to probably see a yield if it's a class A spectacular asset, absolutely beautiful. Your risk rate is about 5% annual return, okay? Uh, now, that's not taking into account maybe an internal rate of return, where once you look at your appreciation is obviously in conjunction with your yield, you may end up with anywhere from an 8 to a 15% in most cases return over the whole period. Um, so you're going to get far more than parking your money in the stock market, a CD, uh, or bonds, or any of those types of things. But but tell me, is there more risk involved? Like usually when you have a higher yield, you have a higher risk. Um, so you're telling me that I can get a higher yield in real estate. Is that a riskier thing? Like is there some sort of drawback that, you know, or else why doesn't everybody um, invest in real estate versus, you know, the 1%, 2% uh, yield bonds you know why? I would much rather get fifteen percent than two percent. So why why isn't everybody doing that? Um, I'll tell you the barriers to entry for your first deal or two are extremely high. You know you can go into the bond market with a thousand dollars. You can go into the stock market with fifty dollars. Uh, you can go put you know ten dollars into a savings account to get a viable asset in a decent area. You're going to have to come up with usually about thirty percent down. Uh, unless you're owner-occupying it. 
And a lot of times people don't just have three or four hundred thousand dollars sitting around to buy one of these really nice assets. Also, uh, lenders have a tendency to look at track record. On your first deal or two, you may need a partner, a savvy investor, who you're probably gonna have to give a preferred return. So once you start looking into raising capital, understanding the real estate, look, reviewing leases and the financials, those are the barriers of entries that keep the average Joe from just going down the street and buying you know, a warehouse. Okay, so you're saying that's going to keep the average Joe from going and buying a warehouse. So does that mean not everybody can invest in real estate? Are there specific people who can? Is there somebody, you know, a certain amount of money you have to have before it's suggested you invest in real estate? Or or what, what would you say to, you know, that average Joe who comes to you and says, Tim, I want to invest in real estate. What are you saying to average Joe? Partner. 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 Find someone who has a track record. Find someone that you can put in $25,000, $50,000. You're not going to have to come up with the large sum of the three to four to 500000 You may even be able to go down to $5,000. You know, five or six people get together. You look for a small asset. But the answer is partner. Find someone who knows what they're doing, who can teach you the ropes. You're not trying to steer the ship alone. You get to observe from a safe distance but you still got some skin in the game. Okay, that definitely makes sense. And do you think that uh, having basically a high credit uh, partner or somebody along those lines that knows what they're doing, has experience, is that going to help you with uh, your like financing rates or anything like that? Or is it just going to help you basically with the knowledge and coming up with capital? It's going to actually help you with financing. A lot of the finance uh, financiers who are going to give you capital for commercial real estate, they want to see the track record. It's an absolute must to have someone on your team who's done three, four, five deals already that can show this is what I've done, this is how successful I've been at it. These are the problems that I ran into, this is how I fixed them, so that you're actually mitigating the risk to the lender that they're going to have to take back this asset. Okay, so let's shift slightly uh, to the elephant in everybody's room right now, the coronavirus. What does the coronavirus what type of impact does that have on uh, the investment market? Um, we just saw over the past couple of days, the stock market has absolutely tanked. I believe yesterday the Dow was down over 2,000 points. Um, what does this do to the real estate market? If you're telling me, you know, is, is, my, re is my real estate investment going to lose money here? Or, you know, is it going to stay fairly steady? What, what's this coronavirus going to do to the real estate world? It's actually interesting. Um, I believe the retail market started to see some issues that they were already having issues. It's only adding to them. Uh, we're looking at office. A lot of people are starting to work from home. Uh, some uh, companies are using this as the opportunity to try uh, off-site employees, remote employees. Uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the these commuters. Uh, they're taking those opportunities. So you're going to see the vacancy rates. Uh, which were already impacted before because of workforce changes. Uh, you're probably going to see them go up in the office market. Uh, it's also going to push the retail market some more. Uh, and you're also finding that with the restrictions on some of the trade, uh, you may see some of the vacancies in warehouse go up the tab. The smaller warehouse, small bay, uh, that they were storing these goods, they're not going to have goods to store. So you may find out that eventually, five, six, seven months from now, 
if someone has a lease that's coming up, they may not renew the larger space. They may be able to go down to the smaller because they just don't have the goods to store. So you see a lot of people downsizing, whether it be in their retail space, their office space, you know, warehouse. You think you see downsizing happening? So the big spaces should be nervous, or they're starting to play with those ideas. It was already in the back of their mind as we become far more efficient uh, that maybe we could get away with a smaller floor. Uh, for floor print. Um, now you're pretty much being forced into it. This has become a catalyst that those ideas that were already in the back of your head that you may actually now have at the forefront you start to act on. Okay, so um, if if we think that people are going to be moving out of the large spaces, whether you know, no matter what sector of real estate they're in, retail, um, industrial, and so forth. Um, should they be leasing? Should they be purchasing? You know, what what should what would the suggestion be as as somebody who you know understands the underlying numbers in investing and um, business? What should these companies and tenants be looking for or doing to maximize their dollar? Well, it actually depends on what your goal is. Um, if you're looking for a real estate investment. I always take that and uh, bifurcate it from my actual business. If you're, with your business, you should always have a lease because uh, the tax implications of a lease far exceed and benefit you much more than purchasing. On a mortgage, you actually write off the interest that you're paying. You can actually deduct the entire amount of a lease. Mm-hmm. So you want to sit there on your business side, always have a lease that's completely deductible. On your investment side, if you're trying to grow your wealth, yes, you want to buy the real estate. In most cases, you're going to find that a group of investors buy the real estate and they either lease it to their own business so they can write off the lease rate to their business as well as have that income and they write off uh, depreciation on the actual asset. So it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish and you may find out that you have multiple goals. Okay, so it comes down to more of a case-by-case basis. You can't just give like a blanket uh, answer as to, you know, this will fit for everybody. Uh, it it kind of comes down to what the business is looking for, what their goals are, and so on. Correct. Um, so we're kind of getting a little bit pinched for time here. So let me skip towards the end a little bit. Uh, I definitely want to bring you back, Tim, because you've got a lot of good information. But uh, let me just skip slightly towards the end and ask... Um, what has been your biggest real estate challenge since you've gotten into the world, and how did you face that adversity? Um, I had multiple challenges. The first challenge was when I started, I was halfway through an MBA program. I uh, had really no understanding of investment anything. Didn't know what a risk rate was. Didn't, I think I sat around for about three years before I figured out what a basis point. So that was a big part of <laughs> my challenge was really starting to understand finance, accounting, uh, costs that are getting, you know, some of the lingo. Um, that was the biggest, well, one of the biggest challenges. The other was actually being a minority. Uh, one of three African-Americans in South Florida doing this. When I showed up to me, no one ever expected it to be me. So a lot of times people would come out, look in their waiting room and go back in their office and call me to find out how much longer till I got there. Only for me to sit there and tell them, I'm here. That was me. You just walked out and saw. Uh, that was the other challenge. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, is there anything that you would like to um, kind of push, advertise that is Tim Merriman? Do you have any, you know, specific, like, whether it be a, a show, a, an article, a magazine, a favorite book, uh, you know, whatever, it could be anything, real estate or not, uh, anything that has to do with Tim Merriman that you'd like to plug? You know, um, because of the amount of knowledge I've gained over the years, I want to sim simplify a lot of the financial data. So hopefully we're at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, I'm going to start pushing the Merriman Minute, where I can simplify some of the information. Uh, and hopefully within 60 seconds, you'll know exactly where uh, mortgage rates are, what I think the feds are going to do, uh, which assets are trading, where we expect for slowdowns in the market to happen as it uh, pertains to South Florida, and what we can probably see for the next uh, in, you know, economic cycle. And wh where can we find that? Uh, have you decided where it's going to be posted yet? Or I know you said that it's kind of in the beginning stages of the production, but uh, just so our listeners can find that eventually, uh, where, where can they find that? It'll be on the NAI Miami blog. Um, once we have that information, I'll make sure to circle back around and provide you with the information. Perfect. And we'll, we'll post it as a, a link on our uh, podcast when we get that information as well. Um, but uh, we are a little strapped for time, so I will end here for now. I really want to thank you, Tim, for coming and speaking to us. I think the amount of knowledge that you have and the amount of um, learning that can be transferred through this show is immense. I definitely want to get you back uh, to talk to you more about, you know, whether it be investing, industrial. I couldn't even get into uh, uh, my questions about the industrial world with you, really. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Um, so thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast applications. Like it. Share it with your friends, family, loved ones. We'd love to see you on our next show. And we will see you next time on The Green.